Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Delight to be here today with Michael Walzer, who's one of America's most prominent political thinkers, writing about a wide variety of topics in political theory and moral philosophy, including political obligation, just and unjust war, nationalism and ethnicity, economic justice, and the welfare state. He has played a critical role in the revival of a practical issue-focused ethics and the development of a pluralist approach to political and moral life. Professor Walter's books include Just and Unjust Wars from 77, Spheres of Justice in 83, On Toleration 97, Arguing About War in 2004, and The Paradox of Liberation from 2015. Currently, he's working on issues having to do with international justice and the connection of religion and politics, and also on collaborative projects focused on the history of Jewish political thought. Professor Walter, thank you so much for taking time to talk. Very glad to be here. So, um, to start at the beginning, what, what can the Jewish tradition contribute to contemporary political thought? So I, am, um, I, I will try to answer that question, but first, let me just suggest a, a caveat. It's something like asking what can French political thought contribute to our, to our current condition? Um, there were monarchists and republicans in France and socialists and libertarians and and people of every political, including French fascists. Um, and in the same way with, with the Jewish tradition, we have had monarchists and, and Republicans. We have had people defending socialism and defending capitalism. Um, we have had people um, arguing very strongly about the rights of private property and people arguing very strongly about the need for the community to take private property in times of crisis. Um, so uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a broad tradition. And um, I'm not always sure that these and these are the words of the living God. Some parts of the tradition are not so, uh, are not so nice. We have even had in Italy in the 30s, Jewish fascists. Um, but I do think there is, um, there is something to learn from the historical experience of the Jewish people, and particularly from the exilic experience. Because if you start from the destruction of the temple in the seventh century, the, before the common era, um, what, three quarters or more of our history is a history of exile. And we are, I think, unique in world history to have fashioned a way of surviving as a, as a people, not just a religious community, but as a, as a nation. 
without territory, without coercive power, most of the time without sovereignty. Um, and that's a remarkable political experience. And I think um, studying how we did it uh, is something that, that um, is, might be especially relevant if we ever move into a post-state, a post-Westphalian world, um, or even if we move into a, a world where the state becomes less central and um, other forms of political organization come to uh, not dominate, but exist alongside uh, the, the, the state. So we have we have that experience. Now, some parts of that experience we need to reject because um, one of the features of Stadlanut, um, which was you could think of as the foreign policy of the Kahal of the Jewish communities, this was maybe too deferential, too passive, too frightened. Um, the Zionist portrait of the exilic Jew as stooped, fearful, isn't entirely wrong. Um, and that is a, a history that we are now eager to, um, to reject, both in Israel, um, where we have the, there is a Jewish, a sovereign state, and here in America, where we are democratic citizens. There's an old prayer for the king, which in some Orthodox congregations has been replaced with the word president, but it's the old prayer. And it is a prayer that he will deal kindly with us. Now, you don't expect, and you don't have to beg an elected official in a democracy to deal kindly with you. That's an attitude that we need to, to forget. Yeah, so, so speaking yeah. Of, our, of our dual experience today, uh, in what way is American Jewish sovereignty here in, in this democracy more and in what way is less significant than the Jewish sovereignty in Israel? And what can they learn from one another? Again, this is a topic where you can write a whole book on uh, or more, but... <laughs> Yes, we have a lot to learn from each other, I think. Um, I wouldn't talk about sovereignty. We are, we are citizens of a democracy. And um, we have learned, I think, to work very effectively in this democracy. We have learned the importance for a minority to um, form alliances, to look for friends, <clears throat> to look for allies. We believe, I think, in coalition politics, and we've been pretty good in, um, in, uh, in, in forming coalitions, and sometimes, as in the civil rights movement in the 1960s, in joining coalitions. Um, what we have to teach the Israelis, I think, are the values of Jewish pluralism, Jewish denominationalism, which is Israelis find very hard to understand or to, uh, or to recognize, um, and the, the values of, um, <laughs> the values of a Supreme Court, 
um, which in Israel at this moment is a highly contested uh, issue. I think the Israeli Supreme Court has tried to act like an American Supreme Court without having a constitution to, to fall back on, um, and sometimes not successfully, uh, but I admire the effort uh, because I think the American Supreme Court is a, an absolutely critical institution in any uh, in any democracy. Um, and I think um, American Jews um, should learn from from Israel um, the, the, the complexities, the difficulties of actual sovereignty of being a state in a world of states, some of which are, are hostile. Um, we often don't really understand some of the dilemmas that Israeli policymakers face. Sometimes we are too quick to criticize. Sometimes, in my view, criticism is, is, is necessary, but there are there is a way of, of criticism which recognizes the realities of, of Israel's um, perilous existence. We oftentimes about, we often talk about being Jewish and democratic as if they're in tension, they're in odds for obvious reasons. But do you view, do you view democracy as sort of a new secular idea, which is at odds with a religious idea? Or do you view democracy uh, as having some roots in traditional Jewish thought that itself uh, is something that is not just a modern construct, but also has some religious roots. I, I, I think that um, democracy has religious roots, um, both in Judaism and in ancient and biblical Judaism, um, and also in Christianity and probably in Islam. Um, I also think there are tendencies in all the religions that, that work against um, democracy and that tend to favor the, um, the rule of um, the learned, uh, the hakamim among us, um, or the, 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 the priestly class among Catholics. Um, but there are, uh, let, let me just describe three elements that I think prefigure um, democracy in um, biblical Israel. Um, the first is the notion of the covenant. Um, and this strange idea that the people have to agree to the covenant. Um, and there is this wonderful midrash about how um, it says that God held the mountain over the people of Israel and said, if you accept the covenant, then I will hold the mountain. And if you don't accept, I will drop the mountain onto, onto you. And, um, and they said, okay, we accept. And then one of the rabbis comments, if that's the way it happened, then we are not obligated because we didn't really consent. Um, so that so at least some of the rabbis, and it seems to be in the biblical text, really believe that the um, the obligations that follow from the covenant have to be accepted by the people. And that's a that is um, a democratic element. It becomes a feature of um, 
social contract theory in the 16th, 17th century. Um, and then there is this odd idea that God's law um, is somehow presented to us in three different versions. And um, the editors of the Bible made no attempt to harmonize the three versions. They just present them, which means that there is a lot of room for interpretation. In, in fact, God's word has to be interpreted because it often seems to be contradictory. Um, and the, the rabbinic arguments that stem from that fact the, the notion that God's law is subject to debate, and the debates go on and on, and often a Talmudic debate will be concluded without a conclusion, inviting readers just to keep going. Um, that's a democratic element. And then there is the remarkable moment when the prophets leave the king's palace and walk out into the streets of Jerusalem. Why do they do that? They obviously think that talking to the people is a meaningful activity, that the, that the, the, the moral arguments in which they are engaged and the theological arguments in which they are engaged are public arguments that need to be aired in the streets of the city. And that is a democratic moment. Now, it doesn't all add up to contemporary democracy. We know that the favorite regime of the biblical writers was monarchy. So, uh, <laughs> but, but it, it is easy to see how one could read the biblical text and make arguments for a democratic politics. Right, right. okay, fascinating. So, so on to uh, two uh, personal questions, if you will. How has your own Jewish identity played a role in your scholarship on political theory? Um, a, a book recently published in France argues that everything that I have written is a direct expression of my Judaism, everything. And I suspect that that's an exaggeration since I've been a participant in American uh, politics uh, for a very, very long time. But I think my, my commitment to a certain kind of liberal pluralism um, is the commitment of a diaspora Jew. Um, this is the, the, the regime. This is the kind of society in which people like us can survive and, and, and flourish. Um, and almost everything I have, I have written has been, um, has been has, has been based on a commitment to um, different versions of pluralism, both doctrinal um, and also in terms of um, political organization, um, a society which had, uh, we are um, uh, in, in the United States, we have a, a civil society which is open and um, the Jewish part of American civil society is extraordinary. We have so many organizations that it is exhaustive just to think about them, let alone to try to participate in, in any number of them, as many of us do. Um, 
So uh, my, my book about social justice, a series of justice, is, a, is, a, is subtitled A Commitment to Equality, to Pluralism and Equality. And, um, and pluralism is, is, is certainly, I, I think, uh, a requirement of, of diaspora Jewry, and I would <clears throat> recommend it also to um, Israeli Jews. <laughs> Thank you. So just one last question for you today for as someone who's been a scholar of political and Jewish thought for over 50 years, uh, what continues to inspire you in this? So what are some of what were or are some of the thinkers or what, what are some of the texts um, or even just one example of something that continues to inspire you to this day to, to do the kind of work you do? Well, first of all, I um... <laughs> the Book of Exodus, my Bar Mitzvah Parasha. I love that. Uh, and I've been writing about that ever since. I, whenever I talk to young people, I always tell them to, to remember their Parasha because you can live with it and you can live off it for a very, very long time. I, I have written three or four or five academic articles and given many, many lectures and actually written a book about um, the, the place of Exodus um, in, in Western political thought. So that's, that, that's, <laughs> that's important. Um, among American Jewish writers, I think Horace Kalin has been enormously important to me. He is the, he is the defender of, um, of, he didn't invent the term multiculturalism. He talked about cultural pluralism. He described in America where there was full political equality and full economic equality and, and the polity and the economy were open to everyone, but there was also room for cultural difference. And he, ex and he explored partly on behalf of, of of the Jews, um, what it would mean to have cultural institutions within a democratic uh, setting. So his work has been uh, has has been an inspiration. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, friends, we encourage you to pick up uh, the amazing books and writings of Professor Michael Walzer. And and uh, I, I had the opportunity to teach your Exodus book in a series, and and uh, you know have have co have co-led programs with you. So I'm grateful to once again connect and learn from you again. Thank you so much for this time. Thank you.